and uh, we left off week before last in Proverbs chapter number 6. We're going to pick up there where we left off last last time in verse number 16, and we're going to try to, to get through here and finish chapter 6 this evening. And um, some, some wonderful things here in this chapter. In, in this entire sixth chapter, we've been talking about, and Solomon is talking here about avoiding the pitfalls, some pitfalls in life. And uh, last time we dealt with verses, in verses 1 through 5, we talked about avoiding foolish debt, where Solomon had talked uh, there in verses 1 and 2 about um, being surety for a friend, and he dealt with that subject of, um, of co-signing and, and indebtedness and to use wisdom in that. We talked about that, and then we also talked about avoiding laziness, amen, and uh, that was one of my, you know, I told you, Vicki said when she was reading through chapter 6 a week, couple weeks ago, and she, she, was, she looked at me and she said, there's no way you're getting through chapter 6 in one, in one Wednesday night. And uh, I said, why is that? She said, there's too many places there you'll get bogged down. And uh, I did get a little bit bogged down in that second division there, verses 6 through 11, on avoiding laziness. But Solomon talked about a solid, good work ethic and uh, being diligent as the ant. Remember that? He used the ant as an illustration, and he said, go to the ant, you sluggard, and, <laughs> and consider her ways and, and, uh, and be wise. And so uh, he used that ant as an illustration of discipline and diligence in work, how that they were diligent when they didn't have anybody no boss, no supervisor watching over them. Brother Roger was a supervisor at one time at uh, at the Farmington School District over the custodial uh, the custodial staff. And uh, if you've been a supervisor of any kind, you know how the tendency is for people when the supervisor's there, they're as busy as an ant to work, and they're just busy as they can be. But when the supervisor's gone. They're not quite as busy. How many knows that? Amen. That, that happens. But Solomon talked about that Ann and said he didn't have a boss. He didn't have a supervisor. Nobody over him um, making him do anything. But instinctively, he's diligent to discipline himself to work. And how much, uh, how important that is, and I don't want to get hung up and bogged down here, but how important a good work ethic is today. And uh, we, need, we need folks that will, and this is the plan of God and the purpose of God in the Bible teaches us that, um, you know, if you don't work, you don't eat. Isn't that what the Bible says? And so it's just really plain that it's not the plan of God. Now, see, here I go. It's not the plan of God for us to do nothing and somebody give us everything. That's not the Word of God, and that's not the will of God. You know, they had a welfare system in the Old Testament. Did you know that? I was just reading about it this week, reading through the book of Leviticus, because God told them when they planted their crops and they reaped their harvest to not reap everything, but to leave the corners of the fields, amen? Is, do you, how many know what I'm talking about? To leave the corners of the fields for the poor people who had nothing. But get, listen, it didn't say go ahead and pick the crop and take it to the poor people and feed it to them. It, they had to come and do a little bit of work themselves to glean that crop. It was there available, but they had to work to get it. Okay, we'll move on. Amen. But uh, we talked about that, and Solomon dealt with having being, being workers and be diligent in work. And listen, the laws of prosperity include uh, in having a good work ethic. If you'll put God first, if you'll, if you'll do your very best to, to work and to make a living for yourself and your family, God will bless the work of your hands. Amen. We got to give him something to bless. Amen. All right. He also, then we dealt with uh, verses 12 through 15, how he talked about avoiding worthless 
wicked people, uh, those who were forward, crooked, perverse, and twisted, that um, that were just people that lied and, you, you know, used uh, uh, crooked, perverse, twisted language that were discord, those who sowed discord, we were to avoid those. And then we got um, those kind of people and those individuals, and then we got into verse 16, and that is where we left off. In verse 16 uh, through verse 19, Solomon then begins to deal with avoiding the things that God hates. I mentioned this last time. There are some things that God hates. When you think of God, you don't think of the the term hate and God just seems not to go together. Because people talk about how God loves us and He is a God of love and He is a God of mercy. And He is a God of compassion and He is a God that is slow to anger, and we know all of those attributes are true about God, don't we? We know that's all true, but there are some things that God does hate, and I think we stress this fact that He doesn't hate individuals. He doesn't hate people. He sent His Son. He loved the world and loved us so much that He sent Jesus to die for us on the cross so that we wouldn't have to spend eternity in hell. But I'm going to tell you, God hates sin. He always has. It's so foreign and opposed to Him and to His character, and He hates sin, and He always has and always will, and He does today. Uh, The wickedness and the sinfulness of this world today, God is opposed to that wicked, sinful lifestyle that so many are involved in today, and so we need to avoid these things that the Lord hates. And so I'm going to read, uh, if you have your Bibles there in in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 says this, These six things the Lord hates, yes, seven are an abomination to Him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, A false witness who speaks lies and one who sows discord among the brethren. Hallelujah. So he urges Solomon here, as, as we've talked about throughout this series, that Solomon is giving instruction and teaching to his son and to his children. And so he urges his son here to avoid the seven sins that are listed in these, um, in these verses 16 through 19. He lists these seven abominations to the Lord and tells his son, and it, it, it goes for us, it's inspired of the Holy Spirit, and tells us as well God's attitude toward these sins that are listed here in this, um, in this passage of Scripture. And it says that his attitude toward them is that he hates them. And we touched on, I believe we covered that very first one in verse 17 where uh, the very first thing that God mentions, that the Word of God mentions here that God hates is a proud look. It's pr- haughty, prideful eyes or a proud look. And this is the sin that's on top of the list, that heads the list, that leads the list, is the sin of pride. And the reason for that being at the top of the list, I believe, is because pride is the root of other sins. And um, a proud look an out, is an outward sign of a proud, arrogant heart. It's those prideful, haughty eyes that look down on other people and also look down on God. And God hates this sin. Why, why does God hate the sin of pride so much that He puts it at the top of the list or the number one thing that He hates? And I believe the reason it's at the top of the list and the reason that it's the root of all other sin is because um, it was the attitude of Lucifer. It was the sin and the attitude that dominated Lucifer when he rebelled against God and tried to overthrow God and was booted out of heaven. It was the very, I believe, 
pride was the very first sin. Because the Bible says that Lucifer was an anointed cherub of God. We've talked about that before. He was an angelic being created by God. And uh, he was uh, an anointed cherub, led worship, uh, uh, you know, in around the throne of God. He was close to God. And um, uh, the Bible says that he was very beautiful, and that was the thing with Lucifer. He was lifted up with pride because of his beauty, the Bible says. And um, if you want to study those verses, you can find them in um, Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel chapter 28 that talk talks about how Lucifer was lifted up with pride. And he exalted himself. And in, in Isaiah chapter 14, uh, over and over again, Lucifer said this, I will, I will, I will exalt myself above the stars of heaven. I will exalt myself above the throne of God. I will be like the Most High. I can do a better job. Basically what he was saying, I can do a better job of running the universe than what God can do. So I'm going to be like God. So he deceived because of his pride. He he then began to lie, and we'll get down. That's one of them on here too, amen. But uh, he 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 deceived Lucifer, deceived and led astray a third of the angelic hosts in a rebellion against God. But that first sin was the sin of pride that was found in the heart and in the life of Lucifer. And uh, it was also the first temptation. Pride was involved in that first temptation when, when, when Satan, when the serpent there, and Satan used the serpent in the Garden of Eden, came to Eve, Satan appealed to her pride. And he said to her, you'll not surely die, but God knows when you eat the, the tree, the fruit of that tree, that you will become as gods. You'll be like God. And he appealed to her pride. And the three things that are of the world that John says that are of the world is the lust of the flesh. Satan used that in that temptation against Eve. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, he used that as well. And what was the third one? The pride of life. The pride of life. And so God said, I hate a proud look. Psalm 18, 27 says, For you, speaking of God, you will save the humble people, but will bring down haughty looks. The Bible says that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So you just know when, when, when uh, an individual, uh, when it gets lifted up in pride, when a nation begins to get lifted up in pride, when people exalt pride, we just, we're, you know, thank God this is the last day of Pride Month. Come on, somebody. Amen. What a slap in the face of God. Don't, don't get me bogged down there. But anyway, uh, <laughs> but uh, when a nation is exalted in pride and, it, and, and has, you know, uh, uh, a pride month and is, is exalting themselves against God, you can look out. There's getting ready to be a fall. Amen. When we exalt ourselves, this is what the Bible teaches. This is what Jesus said. He that exalts himself shall be abased, shall be humbled, shall be brought down. But you know how you get exalted? You know how you get lifted up? You know how you get promoted? Not by exalting yourself or lifting up yourself, but by humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God. The Bible said God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And when we submit ourselves to God and humble ourselves before God, let God do the exalting and the lifting up and he will always do that in due time when we humble ourselves before him and submit ourselves to him. Amen. Jesus is the great example of that. And Paul brought that out in Philippians chapter 2, you know, how that he said, let this mind, oh man, I'm, I'm getting on a, on a trail here. He said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, who, who did not exalt himself, but he humbled himself and 
he came, made himself of no reputation, the Bible said. And he humbled himself. And how that God highly exalted him and has given him a name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. So Jesus pointed the way to promotion and exaltation. The, with God, the way up is down. Right? The way up is down. So the, he, he hates a proud look. Isaiah 2.11 said, The lofty looks of man shall be humbled. The haughtiness of men shall be bowed down, and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. So he hates pride, a proud look. Secondly, in verse 17, the second thing on the list that God hates is a lying tongue. The reference here is to lying in general. You know what lying, everybody knows what a lie is. It's an untruth. It's, it's something that's it's a falsehood. And this reference refers here to lying in general, and it covers all types of degrees of, uh, of, of lies, all types and degrees of untruth. Even what, you know, isn't it, isn't it amazing how that, how that people today classify lies? Huh? Well, I just told a little, I'm going to have to tell a little white lie. And I've never found any colors codes Color code lies in the Bible. Come on, somebody. Amen. Uh, an untruth, a falsehood is a, is a lie. And um, so there's, you know, little white lies, what people refer to as white lies. Some think they are harmless and inexcusable. And um, I just don't find that in the Word of God. Um a, a big, bad, terrible, hateful, dangerous lie. Some people say, well, that's really bad, but just a little innocent white lie is okay. It's excusable. It's not bad at all. But can I tell you something? God, if, if your tongue moves, if your tongue moves and, and, and produces something that is an untruth, that is a lie, God hates that. I didn't say God hated you, but he hates that untruth and that lie. It's, it's, it's wrong. It's sinful. All lying is sinful. Why is it such a big deal, Brother Rick? Well, lying is something. Falsehood, lying, untruth is something that is totally, completely against the character of God. This is what's so terrible about lies is because it's against God's nature and character because God himself is truth. In him is no lie. Come on, somebody. Jesus said, I am the way, the what? The truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So God is truth. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 18 that it is impossible for God to lie. God cannot lie. Amen. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. So it's against the nature and character of God to lie. So when it comes to you and I as born-again believers, blood-washed children of God, with God as our Father, then we need to follow the character and nature of God and always deal with the truth truth and in the truth. Can I get an amen? Hallelujah. The sin of lying can be also another sin that is first attributed to Satan because he lied. What was it, what was it he did in the garden when he, when he came to Eve? He lied to her, didn't he? he? That's when Jesus Jesus said that Satan is the father of lies, that there's no truth in him. He's a liar. Jesus said this of the devil. He's a liar and the father of lies. So I don't want to assume associate myself with 
the father of lies that is opposed to God. Always be truthful and always tell the truth. That, that, that first lie that, that led to the mess that we're in today, to the, to the, to the powers of darkness that are, that are ruling some, the, the, the world today and people's hearts and lives today, the sin and iniquity that's in this world, all the death and the degradation and the destruction and, and the deceit and the hurt and the sickness and the disease and the heartache and everything that's going on that's opposed to God today began with a lie. Amen? When, when the, 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 the serpent, Satan using that serpent said to Eve, you shall not surely die. He's telling them, I don't want to whisper, I don't want to sound like President Biden. <laughs> you shall not surely die. Isn't that what he said to her? When God said that they would die, and uh, she believed the lie. Do you know there's people, oh, help us, Jesus. There are people that are, are going to hell today. Because, well, Brother Rick, they may be good people, or you know, they may be good individuals, but if they're believing the lie of Satan and not believing the truth, you can be just as sincere as you want to be, as sincere as you can be, but if you're believing an untruth, if you're believing something that is a lie that's not in line with this book, even ignorantly, it will doom and damn a soul to hell. The Bible said there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. Isn't that right? And so the first thing, the first, it was lying was first attributed to Satan. It led to the fall in the Garden of Eden when he lied to them. Jesus said he's the father of lies. He's the, he's the progenitor of lies. And uh, God's word warns us over and over and over throughout the word of God. And this should be enough right here just to know that God hates lying. But God's word warns us that all liars will be judged. All liars will be judged. The Bible says in Proverbs 15, uh, I'm sorry, 19 and 5, that a false witness shall not be unpunished, and he that speaks lies shall not escape. We need to let that sink in. Revelation 21 and 8 says this, and all liars, how many? All liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So lying is a sin that will damn the soul. So deal with the truth. Walk in truth and live in truth because God is all about truth. Let's move on number three. Here's the third one. He says, he says the third thing that God's ha God hates is this, hands that shed innocent blood. Hands that shed innocent blood. I, I, I think that every one of us realize here tonight that God places a great value on human life, the sanctity of human life. Are you listening to me? And uh, to shed innocent blood, for anybody to shed innocent blood, is to despise life. And this refers... Uh, number one, to the capital crime of murder. Murder is a capital crime according to the Word of God. Uh, God. God said it to Noah in Genesis chapter 9. Now, I'm not going to talk about capital punishment or the death penalty here tonight. Some believe in it, some don't. But God is the one that advocated it. Somebody said, well, that was under the law. In Genesis chapter 9, God said to Moses, before, uh, to Moses, to, <laughs> Moses wasn't on the ark, was he? Amen. God said to Noah, after he got off of the ark, uh, God said that, um, that, that, that if man sheds blood by, his, by, by the hand of man, shall his blood be shed. So God instituted 
capital punishment for capital crimes. And so it refers here to that capital crime of murder. Man was made in the image and likeness of God. And it's a terrible, terrible, terrible crime and sin to take a human life. Amen? For anybody to take a human life, uh, and I'm talking about in, an innocent human life, to, to premeditatedly and, and maliciously kill or murder somebody in cold blood is a terrible crime and sin, and it's something that God hates. But, and, and people say, well, I, I, I know that, and I agree with that, and our country has laws against that. But here's where the double standard comes in because we punish those who would who would murder someone in cold blood but every year every year millions of unborn babies are murdered and let me use that word listen you know we, we, we use the word abortion but abortion is murder it's killing it's murder of the unborn amen it is murder there is uh, life, and, and I know this is debated. They're always telling us to follow the science. Well, why don't they? They just want to follow the science when it suits them. But follow the science concerning conception. How soon that, 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 that little baby in that mother's womb has a heartbeat, begins to grow and develop. And we believe that the Bible teaches that conception be, or that life begins at the conception of that, of that baby. Amen? In that mother's womb. So when that baby is, is aborted, it is murder. It is killing. And God hates that. And I don't see, you know, how you can shed more innocent. How, more, how much more innocent blood could it be than to rip an unborn baby from the womb of its mother? It's, it's something that God hates when we read in the Bible, you, you read in the Bible about King Manasseh. I don't know if any, how many of y'all remember King Manasseh or know who Manasseh. He was the son of Hezekiah. But Hezekiah was a good king. Manasseh turned out to be a rascal. And he turned out to be a very evil king. And uh, Manasseh instituted, uh, you know, uh, idol worship back into Israel after his father had cleansed the temple and instituted the worship of God, Jehovah God. Manasseh came along and he, he, he uh, brought idol worship back in. And one of the things that Manasseh instituted in Israel was um, the sacrificing of children to Moloch. And it was a uh, Moloch was a was a big idol that had its arms out, and it was a I don't know kind of a cow bull man all put together I don't know, but it had its arms out, and they it had a big uh, hole in its belly where they would build a fire, and that thing would get red hot, and people would take their children alive and sacrifice them to the god Moloch to appease the god, burn them alive there. Uh, in that, and the Bible says concerning and Manasseh, Manasseh was a big instigator and promoter of that offering of children. And uh, the Bible says in Second Kings twenty one sixteen that Manasseh shed innocent blood very much. And I want you to notice something here about what the Bible says. God held that leader responsible. For the shedding of innocent blood. It wasn't that Manasseh himself shed all the innocent blood. He did his share. But because he instituted that in the nation and allowed it to happen and promoted it, God held that leader responsible for shedding innocent blood. Our leaders today. In Washington, D.C., those who promote abortion, and they're going to have to, listen, they're going to stand before God and be guilty, be held guilty of that sin. I don't care how religious they are. I don't care what church they belong to. It is promoting murder and the shedding of innocent blood. Amen? The Bible says in Psalm 106, 37 and 38, that they even sacrificed, and here was what the psalmist said about that, they even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons and shed 
innocent blood and the blood of their sons and their daughters whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan and the land was polluted with blood. Can I tell you today ladies and gentlemen that this land of ours, this great nation of ours, the land of America is polluted with blood of the unborn today. It's polluted with the blood of over 55 million unborn babies and God hates it. It's murder. It's taking the life of the innocent. It's shedding innocent blood. And God, hear me tonight, God will judge America for this sin. Yes, He will. Yes, He will. Nobody's getting by with anything. Amen? It's a sin. It's something that God hates. And uh, we need to continue as a church to pray for our nation that that God will move and that we will turn. There's, you know, um, they're working on that right now in the Supreme Court. We need to really be praying like never before that our Roe versus Wade would, would be overturned and that it would be given back to the states. There are several states, I forget now how many, in the United States now that have, um, that have, have banned abortions after uh, a heartbeat or six weeks or whatever the case. So we need to really pray that God would move and and I know that would be the will of God come on amen all right hands that shed innocent blood the fourth thing that God hates is this it's a heart that creates evil and uh, plans evil against others notice in verse number 18 he said a heart that devises wicked plans wicked plans someone who devises wicked plans against others I think about Haman, when I think about this, how Haman had a plot and a plan and a scheme to destroy the Jews. And uh, Hitler did too, as a matter of fact. But we read about Haman's plot in the Bible to destroy the Jews. And he connived this and he planned this of how he could, how he could bring destruction to them. And it was called a wicked plot. I think about, you know, and that was Haman, a very wicked man. But I think about a, a very godly man that we know in the Bible, that connived an evil plot as well. And his name was David. The sweet psalmist David. We've got, we've got a scores of his, of his psalms in the Bible. But what did David do? What was the plot? you remember what happened with David? Man, he, 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 he got messed up and he committed adultery with Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. Uriah was one of David's mighty men. He was close to David. But what did David do when he found out, when he found out that Bathsheba, they just had, had a one-night stand. And he found out, got word that she was pregnant. And what did David do? He brought he, he said, call for Uriah, and he tried to get Uriah to go home to his wife. He's got to get it. He's got, he's got it all figured out how he's going to get out of this. Be sure your sin will find you out. He's going to get out of this, but it doesn't work out like he thought it was going to work out. Amen? So what does David do then? He gets Joab, and he says, get Uriah in the midst of the hottest battle. The fiercest battle, put him out in the forefront and then have the army to retreat from him so that he'll be killed. Mm. And that's what happened. And the Bible said, when you read that chapter, it says, and the thing that David did displeased the Lord. He thought he'd got by with it, but he didn't. Amen? It was evil. It was a evil plan against somebody else. Listen. Listen to me, saints of God. And I know nobody here does this. Don't ever plot evil toward anybody. Not even your enemy. Are you listening to me? Nobody. Don't ever plot evil against anybody. Love people. Get along with people. Forgive people. Don't try to figure how you're going to get even with anybody or, 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 or get back at anybody. That is something that God hates. 
The fifth thing was wicked feet that eagerly run to do evil. There in verse 18, that second part, feet that are swift to running to evil. These are people that run speedily to every opportunity to indulge their fleshly desires. They have a zeal for wickedness. They have a passion for evil and sin. They can't wait. They can't wait to get to the next wild party to indulge their fleshly lusts. The, 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 the mind that plans the evil and then the feet carries it out or eager to carry it out. And God hates that particular sin as well. Amen. Number six is a false witness who speaks lies. Now here is lying mentioned a second time. But this is a specific act of lying. There in verse 19, a false witness who speaks lies. God hates this. And uh, it's a specific act of lying. lying. A lying tongue he dealt with. There, The second thing was lying in general. But this here is lying about somebody else. It's telling lies on someone to defame them, their character, to assassinate. Do you know you can assassinate somebody's character by lying about them? I know it's quiet because you're listening. Amen. Nobody, I know nobody here does that. And thank the Lord for that. But... Um, when you testify, when a person would testify falsely about another person or persons, it's a direct violation of the commandment of God because the commandment of God in the, in the Decalogue was, Thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. That's telling lies on other people. We see that happening in the Bible. Remember, remember a man by the name of Naboth? Anybody remember Naboth? Had a vineyard that was inherited, passed down from his, uh, you know, from his ancestors that was in his family. And King, wicked King Ahab, it was right close to the palace, and Ahab wanted Naboth's vineyard. You remember that story? And he, he goes to Naboth and he says, I want your vineyard. I'll give you much more than what it's worth, or I'll give you one better. I just want this vineyard. And Naboth said, no, it's in my family. Uh, uh, it's it's my inheritance. I'm keeping it. it. It's not for sale. Boy, there's a message right there. Glory to God. I just had something click on the inside of me. We need some preachers and some Christians today that will hold on to what God has given them and say, I'm not for sale. The gospel's not for sale. We're not for sale. We're going to stand for what the Lord Jesus has given us and told us in his word. Amen. That won't cost you any extra. But Ahab, you remember what he did? He went home and he started sulking and pouting and he wouldn't eat and he turned his face to the wall and he just had a big pouting spell. And Jezebel came in and said, what's wrong with you? And he told her that Naboth wouldn't, wouldn't, let, wouldn't let him have the vineyard and all that. And she said, don't you worry. You get up and wash your face, get something to eat. I'll get you that vineyard. You remember what she done? She got a hold of some people there uh, in the city where Naboth lived and said, call a feast. Get Naboth there, uh, highly exalt him and honor him and promote him and all that. And then we're going to hire somebody to come in and lie on Naboth and tell, um, tell a lie that he is blaspheming the king. And they set that whole thing up and said when they tell that lie, everybody accuse him and then stone him to death. And that's what they did. An innocent, listen to me. And this is why it's so important, saints of God, what comes, what we say, and what comes out, or what we listen to and what we believe. Are you listening to me? Gossip and all of that. Don't, don't gossip to me. Don't gossip in this church. Don't gossip to nobody. Amen? If somebody comes gossiping to you, tell them, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. I don't know that that's true, and I don't want to hear that. Well, you know, brother, I heard. You know what I heard? That's the first thing right there, you know. That's the red flag. You know what I heard? I'm not interested in what you heard. 
praise the Lord. But Naboth lost his life, and they stoned him. But I'm going to tell you what. You go ahead and read the rest of that story. And Jezebel, and that wicked scheme of hers, she was judged. Her and Ahab both was judged by God and held accountable for that. So don't bear false witness or lie against lie or bear false witness against anyone ever. Don't repeat gossip because you don't know if it's true or not. Don't repeat. If it is true, don't repeat it. Don't spread rumors. And then the last one is this. Are we doing all right? Okay. The last one is this. I thought we'd finish the chapter. Um, <laughs> the last one is this. And this one, I've got an arrow drawn in my, in my Bible from verse 16 where it says, These six things the Lord hates, yes, seven are an abomination. I've got an arrow drawn from, in my Bible from abomination down to the seventh one. Because I believe this is not only something that God hates, but it's something that's abominable to God. Now, you know, we talk about, well, I don't know if I need to say this or not. We talk about things that are an abomination to God and, and uh, same-sex relationships. The Bible says are abominable. They're an abomination. But, but listen, we may not be involved in that, but, but we definitely don't want to be involved in this either because this as well is an abomination. One, the, the latter part of verse 19, one who sows discord among brethren. One who sows discord among brethren. Let me tell you something. Here we get back again to talking a little bit about Lucifer, but God hates this sin so deeply because it's the result it's the result of Lucifer's original sin because Satan used discord. Listen to me. Satan used discord to divide God's kingdom. Is that right? He sowed discord among the angels, the holy angels of God, and, and, and got th a third of them to follow him in his rebellion. It was the sowing of discord. Again, that's the reason God hates that so much. And this is the very sin. Here's why it's so, so abominable to God, ladies and gentlemen, because this is what destroys families. It destroys churches. It destroys businesses. It destroys communities. And it destroys nations. And Jesus acknowledged the importance of unity. When he, when he said, Jesus said that, that every kingdom, every kingdom that is divided against Itself is brought to desolation. And he said, Every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. Can you can you can you understand that? He's saying that that this is Satan's main way of destroying lives is by someone sowing discord. Again, it's another misuse or wrong use of the tongue. Someone going around planning thoughts in people's mind and sowing discord and saying things to split and to divide. Listen, listen, listen. We as a church have got to be unified, have got to be in unity. How good and how pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. Amen. We cannot allow strife and division and discord of any kind, of any measure within the body of Christ within the church. It'll ruin your home. It'll ruin your family. It'll ruin the church of God. It'll ruin the it ruins the kingdom of God. It destroys. It tears down. Jesus said that it will divide and tear up, and that is Satan's main objective in destroying the church. Let me tell you something. If Satan can get somebody sowing discord within a church, he can pack up and go on vacation to to Tampa or somewhere because he's gonna. He's going to be, it will be, he will make it responsible for those people to divide and destroy themselves from within through the sowing of 
discord among who? The brethren, the church, believers. Oh, we've got to be on guard. Paul warned the churches about the danger, division. He urged the churches to be in one mind and one accord. He told that Corinthian church, he said, listen, I beseech you in the name of the Lord that you all speak the same thing and there be no divisions among you. He told the Corinthians again in chapter 12 that there be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. There's got to be unity in the body, everybody flowing together, every member Working together. Oh, hallelujah. Nothing handicaps or paralyzes the body of Christ like division does. And Satan knows that. And he's the master of sowing discord. I, uh, I've had in this church, unbeknownst to me at times, and Sister Denise is teaching our adult class, doing a tremendous job. And, um, but in the past... I've had someone in the back, how do I say this, saying derogatory things about our church and service and songs without me knowing what they were saying. They didn't come and tell me. You know, here's the thing. If something's bothering you, call a meeting with the preacher and talk to him. Boy, it really got quiet now. But it's, listen, listen, that's a form of sowing discord. If you don't agree with it, go to the pastor and talk to him about it. But don't try to sow discord among the saints in the church and turn them against a portion of that church or worship service or somebody else. That brings division. And that's not the will of God, and that's not the plan of God. Amen. We had a situation. I'm going to close here. We're about, about time. I didn't, get, I didn't get all the way to verse 35 tonight, but we will. Um, we had a situation a few years ago of someone trying to undermine uh, an individual on the worship team trying to, um, to spread something or start something about a member on the worship team to get them kicked off of the worship team. And I approached this. When this came out, I talked to this individual, individual and I told them to knock it off. See, if I find out somebody's spreading discord, I will talk to you. All right? And what I'll tell you is, stop it now. And that's what I told this individual. I said, I want this stopped. I want it to end. And I want it to end right now before somebody gets hurt. Well, guess what? A couple of days later, I got a phone call from someone else in the church that said, this is what so-and-so told me about so-and-so. And, buddy, let me tell you something. If you want to get Pastor Rick's blood a-boiling. <laughs> huh? Whoo! Hallelujah. Well, anyway, those folks are no longer with us. But, listen. Strife and division has to be dealt with, and it has to be stopped. Amen? Where there is no wood, this is Proverbs 2. We'll get to it by the middle of the millennium. Um, <laughs> where there is no wood, the Bible says, Proverbs says, the fire goes out. Where there is no tail bearer, strife ceases. That's Bible. So you got to get, get it at the source, okay? But we've had those situations. We, we can't allow that to happen. One individual told someone a few years back, this person was, was working in the church, and they, and they said, you know, Pastor Rick's running people off. 
I can't help it. We, what we need to do is get rid of him and get somebody else because he's running people off. Do you know what that is? And I'm saying this to, to, to give an illustration. You know what that is? It's sowing discord among the brethren. And God hates that sin. Amen? Those folks aren't here anymore either. I guess I ran them. I guess I ran them off. No, I never. I didn't even confront them about that. But there was some other issues. But nevertheless, oh God, I I know people are going to think, boy, he's mean, and we better told the line. Listen, I have never, ever asked anybody to leave this church. Never have. I've been tempted, but I but I never have. I never have. <clears throat> and uh, God is always taking care of the situation, you know. Do you know, God sometimes has to subtract before he can multiply. Do you know that? You know, if we're going to gauge the... If we're going to gauge the success of a church by numbers, and that's what's going on in the church world today, you know, you're a good pastor and got a great church if you're, a me- if you're mega. If you've got mega in front of your church name, then you're, you're doing the right thing. Well, Gideon was a big failure then. He was a flop. Because Gideon started out with 32,000 and wound up with 300. Amen? But, boy, I tell you what, God had 300 he could use and did use to defeat the enemy. But that, that subtraction uh, from Gideon's army was done by the Lord, wasn't it? God sometimes has to subtract before he can multiply. And uh, we just have to let God do what God does. There are, there are, uh, there are, there are there's always tares among wheat but what did, the, what did Jesus say? Let them alone and let them grow together. And God, the Lord, will be the one that will separate the wheat from the tares. And I don't know how I got off on all that. But my point is God hates discord and the sowing of discord and division. And he's all about unity and he's all about harmony. And that's where we've got to be. And I believe with all my heart that's where we are as a church right now. If there's any kind of discord in abundant life, I don't know anything about it. Amen? So let's keep it that way. Because that's the atmosphere where God can move and work and bless. Okay? Praise God. Father, we love you tonight, and we thank you again for another opportunity to share the Word of God, to be in the house of God, to teach your Word. Lord, increase our wisdom as we study your wisdom book, and we just pray tonight that you will will take every one of our hearts and mold us and form us more into the image of Jesus Christ. Let the fruit of the Spirit just flow in us tonight and from us tonight. In Jesus' name, we give you praise for all you do. Amen.